Broadcasting from Dothan, Alabama, this is the Cambridge Podcast. My host, Keith Thurl, is episode 86, year-end review. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Preacher Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism, apologetics, and maybe whatever else I am thinking about and have going on. It has been a minute. I took a brief hiatus, um, so I have not updated a podcast apparently since July. I thought it was August once the school year began. I thought they kind of dropped off, but it was actually since July. And I cranked out a few podcasts back in September. Uh, put them in the hopper, and I plan on releasing them, and then I listened to them before I dropped them, and I wasn't happy with uh, the way they were, and then I just kind of fell off. My my, I bought a brand new Mac with my Trump bucks back in like uh, April of 2020, and June of 2021, that computer decided to go, and so now I'm now working off a new MacBook Air, uh, so you know, add a little bit of money on the old MacBook Pro, but uh, now I am back at it, though. I have a computer rip-roaring ready to go. I was, on, I was in the studio back in September, and uh, when I was not producing podcasts, Knox said, where are they at? And I was like, ah, oh, my computer broke, and da, da, da. he's like, what, you don't have a friend that owns a studio? So uh, I do have a friend that owns a studio, and I was not getting in there to crank these out. So I, I believe the last time we spoke, I was um, doing some live shows in the studio over the summer, and then uh, it kind of became a little bit of an ill-fated project. And in that, though, I said a couple things that I, I received some emails. I told some people I'd produce some podcasts on it, and I have not produced those podcasts. So I'm just way behind. And so what I want to do is kind of lay out where this podcast is going to be heading over the next uh, couple months, uh, depending on a few things, what happens on campus. Uh, but what I, what I kind of hope to do and uh, go for this reason. Um, so I'll, I'll give, I'm going to give the year review, and then I, I guess I'll lay out a bit of where we're going to go with the podcast. And so... Uh, back in August, I started preaching again, uh, and it was kind of the first time that schools have genuinely been open since uh, basically March of uh, 20, I guess. So a year and a half off, essentially. And even when I would preach in the previous year, I only got out maybe like six, seven weeks, whatever it was, a lot of those campuses were largely dead. And so if you did get much interaction going, it was with very small groups, there wasn't that much energy, and this, that, and the other. I had a couple good meetings, but nothing um, like normal days. And so back in August, I set out to preach uh, with a friend of mine, Sean. I spent a few days preaching by myself. Um, and the first day I went out, I was a little bit nervous. You just like haven't preached really in a year and a half. Can you get a crowd? Can you get things going? So my friend Sean started the day. He tags me in. Next thing I know, the place just lit up. Um, I, I started preaching and I, I kind of had cotton mouth and everything. I was just I was kind of nervous. Like, man, how's this going to go? And next thing you know, the place is build and build and build and build and build and just had a huge crowd. And um, the day was fun. I mean, we were rocking and rolling, a uh, big crowd back and forth. Um, by the end of the day, I sat on a wall and... Uh, you know, a bunch of students came over and was able to have really good gospel conversations. Some of it was a little bit chippy. Um, I was kind of leaning into the whole uh, gender identity thing and the whole uh, you know race as a social construct thing, and um, kind of just playing their word games with them. And a handful of people thought it was pretty funny. Some students were kind of annoyed and stuff like that. But uh, you know, just when you get into that bottomless pit of 
self-identification and uh, just kind of word games. Any, anybody can play it once you kind of learn to play their game or um, and, and you realize they want to set the rules and the parameters. And so when they want to complain about hegemony and um, hierarchy and stuff like that, they're, they're just really trying to institute a new hierarchy. These things are inescapable parts of reality because this is the way God has embedded the universe that we have to live in. And um, so, so it started going off really, really well. Next day, go out and start preaching. Big crowd gathers. Next thing I know, and I'm not going to go into too many details because I got arrested that day, and we are still got some court stuff. But the, the short of the long is this. I was preaching. Uh, school asked us to shut it down um, because they said the crowd was too big and they can't carry on normal school activities. And so the school trespassed me because I said uh, we offered to shut it down to a smaller meeting. And... We'd sit in our chairs, interact with students in smaller groups. I said, no, we want you off campus. At that point, I assumed it was much more about my message than it had anything to do with their ability to carry on normal school activities. And then they called in the police, <laughs> and and they trespassed me. And then um, and they also charged me for uh, obstructing or resisting an officer. I don't remember what it was. So those are my two charges. I go to court on – I had a, a initial court date a couple weeks back. Got another one on one thirteen. And, uh, yeah, so if you think of praying for me that everything would be resolved uh, appropriately, I do have a lawyer and blah, blah, blah. So hopefully everything gets dropped. But that kind of set the tempo and the pattern for the semester. Uh, um, it was just tight. The whole basically 15 weeks of preaching, uh, the basic MO has been day one has been great. And day two has just been very, very chaotic. And I, I think it's uh, demonic. I, I do think with the great awakening in the summer of 2020, in light of the death of George Floyd, that um, basically what kind of happened is like you had a revival of religion, but it was a radical shift, uh, a further shift, cultural drift from Christianity into a deeper embedded humanism, pseudo egalitarianism, and a handful of other things. And you just kind of see it with the you know the way people want to use language, the, what they wanted George Floyd's death to mean. Uh, you had people washing feet, and there's all these analogs to Christianity going on. If you're paying attention, um, there are so many things that look so close to Christianity. We talk about uh, repentance and uh, reconciliation and atonement and all things that we can kind of, as Christians, clearly sign off on. But what was really taking place is they were stuffing it with uh, new meaning. And so people uh, have been kind of out of the loop for a year and a half. I show it back up on campus. I begin to preach the old time religion, the old gospel. And you have all these people with a new religion and a new religious fervor and um, a new fundamentalism. And I show up and I'm against that fundamentalism. And so they're adamantly against me. And so the thing that uh, really surprised me about this semester is, is that radical shift that campuses uh, that were maybe like, say I'd preach, uh, if you've heard me talk before, I usually describe campus as a bell-shaped curve. You have your zeros, and then you have your uh, tens. Your zeros are days I can't buy crowds, you know, you, you're, you're preaching and, you know, there's just no one stopping. And that happens a couple times a semester, and it is just kind of brutal to stand out there preaching. And especially when uh, <laughs> when the students begin to mock you when you can't get a crowd going. Uh, no one cares, man. No one's listening to you. And you're like, yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see no one's listening to me. You don't kind of remind me. And then you have your tens where literally like this semester where the police are asking you to shut it down. And that usually starts to happen about the eight, nine mark. Eight, the police show up. Usually sevens, uh, I would say the police start to show up. Eight, uh, starts to get a little bubbly. Nine, the police are like, eh, ten. You're like, yeah, shut this thing down. Um, 
And so this semester, schools that were kind of on the four or five, which is kind of like an ideal day, four, five, six are kind of your ideal days. You get a pretty good crowd, good interaction, good energy, uh, but there's a lot of attention amidst the conflict and everything else. And uh, campuses that were four or fives before were suddenly seven, eights, nines this semester. And that just kind of set the tempo going from week one to week two. And what I kind of discovered is the basic pattern on campus is day one has been very good and fruitful, good crowd. A lot of students come out, maybe a little bit of energy, maybe a little more hyped uh, than I prefer, um, but you're still clearly preaching the gospel. You have a lot going on. But then day two has been a radical shift where on several campuses, the students would scream and yell and not allow us to speak. And so it was heavy, heavy, heavy shut us down. And so this ties in, I believe, with the Great Awakening. And even over the summer, there's a guy named Dr. Kaiser in Omaha, Nebraska, that is worth looking up. He was a missionary. He grew up a missionary kid in Ethiopia, and he would see some demonic activity. And because I was praying and thinking and prepping for the semester, I was actually uh, had a Zoom call with him over the summer. Maybe I'll try to get him on the podcast so we can maybe talk about these things a little bit. And we were, and I, I did a, I wanted to talk to him just do a Zoom call and just like, hey, you know, you're one of the few reformed men that are dealing with the demonic. Uh, oftentimes, you know, as Calvinists were like, oh, even Satan is God's devil. That's true, but he does prowl, prowl around like a roaring lion. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and rules and principalities. And that was just becoming more and more of a reality to me as I was prepping for this semester and just as I was praying and thinking through, I believe in some sense uh, that, that the Lord was laying upon my heart the realities of like, no, we're, you're going into a spiritual conflict. So I, I got in touch with Dr. Kaiser. Uh, we talked a little bit about demonic activity. And I think that's a lot of what was taking place this semester. And even on um, some days, like the school administration would care nothing. People would bring out giant uh, stereo systems that drown us out and just play the most wicked music uh, that is out there. Um, and that's what we had to deal with day in, day out. And, and one of the ways I described it earlier this semester, I'm not sure if it's totally fair. I'm not saying this is exactly what Luke had in mind when he lays this out in Acts chapter 17, because uh, he saw that Athens was wholly given over to idolatry. But the way I kind of described it is we've, we've shifted from Athens to Ephesus, because in my head, uh, Athens is a place of intelligence. It's, you know, the it, Paul was reasoning with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. So it's all about uh, Paul was in the marketplace in the synagogue, and he's reasoning with the Athenians and the foreigners who live there, doing who do nothing but hearing and telling the latest ideas. So even though the place is wholly given over to idolatry and Paul preaches the unknown God um, to the Areopagus, uh, you, you do kind of have the Socratic aspect, and you do kind of have Aristotle and Plato in the background of that narrative. Um, but just two chapters later, Paul is uh, in Ephesus, and you kind of have the kind of famous uh, sons of Sceva, you know, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? And they basically pounce, the demons pounce and uh, devour, basically beat up that man. Um, but then you also have the riot in Ephesus. And it's actually a pretty amazing story. If you get a chance, just read Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 21. And um, what happens there is Paul begins to preach, and you know, one group yells out one thing, another yells out another, and very few know why they had gathered, and even some try to encourage Paul not to go down uh, in, into the mob to preach uh, and stuff like that. And finally somebody, uh, a local authority, appeals to them saying, hey, you know, cut it out because we're going to be charged with rioting. And so... Um, that, that's And I, I would just kind of say that's kind of the vibe. And if you also are familiar with the book of Ephesians, so think about what's going on there, the sons of Sceva, then you have the near riot in Ephesus, then think of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus where he tells them that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of rulers and principalities 
of this current dark age. Um, and so that's, I would want to say, much more of what we are going into than we are entering into Athens. Uh, and so, uh, and I don't know exactly what that looks like just yet because I spent 15 weeks preaching in it. Um, and some days were just kind of slow because I preached in California for, uh, I went there for two weeks and California camps are basically just like COVID, still COVID dead, most of them, at least the ones that I went to. And I think the UC system might be a little bit more open, but I went to the Cal State system and the campuses there were just very, very dead. And so I'm still trying to figure out my rhetoric, my language, um, how I go about preaching, how you go about spiritual confrontations with the demonic and stuff like that. I'm still not sure. If you have any good ideas, feel free to email me. And I used to give out the email, Keith at Campus Preacher. I'm not sure if that works. So if you've ever emailed me and I have not responded to you, uh, try me at uh, Keith at WhitefieldFellowship.org. That's Keith at Whitefield Fellowship. It's really Whitfield Fellowship, but it looks like Whitefield. So W-H-I-T-E-F-I-E-L-D Fellowship.org. Keith at Whitefield Fellowship.org. Um, so if you have any more thoughts, so I, I purchased uh, William Grinnell's The uh, Christian in Complete Armor. Like I said, I interacted a little bit with Dr. Kaiser, and I'm going to uh, research this a little bit more because I think that's kind of where we're headed. I, you know, I've spent much of my Christian life studying apologetics, and some of that is just out the window when you're dealing with the demonic. And when you see... Uh, campuses just go completely haywire, and there's no reasoning with anybody there. Um, the reality is that we are wrestling against uh, spiritual forces. Yet on the bright side, uh, we do know that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has triumphed over them in the cross. And uh, if you study the book of Revelation, you know not just in the, oh, we know who wins, but uh, you see the reality of uh, like the archangel Michael fighting Satan and casting him down and all that that uh, entails. So there is a lot going on there, a lot to digest. But on the flip side, when I was in seminary and we were studying uh, my class on Acts, one of the things the professor pointed out is that the church is always going through external and internal conflict. This is kind of the nature of reality, and we're never going to have this utopian vision. So even when people are like, we need to return to the early church, like, <laughs> what early church? The Corinthian church? The, you know, we often might think of the apostles, but even Paul and um uh, Peter had some division and conflict and stuff like that. And so even if you read through Acts, Paul's life wasn't always rosy and easy to deal with. And and so uh, that, that's just something that needs to be put on your radar. But on the flip side, there is often more fruit. So one of the hopeful things as the culture seems to be becoming more and more chaotic and breaking down uh, by the day, uh, we should remain hopeful in the preaching of the gospel. And the way we will, we will conquer this culture. And the way we go about conquering this culture is we witness to the gospel. Uh, we suffer for the gospel. We bless those who curse us, and we pray for those who persecute us. And uh, I think if we just take that simple tact uh, going about, I do think we need to ease up on being shrill, being harsh, uh, buying into the culture's rhetoric, and how do we really, as Christians, be men, be women, uh, serving Jesus, preaching the gospel with great clarity and boldness, uh, yet always doing it with gentleness and respect, um, as Peter tells us to do. How do we go about doing that? Um, that's what we uh, need to learn to do. That's what I need to learn to do on campus because, you know, uh, some of the bare-knuckle punches I would throw two years ago and would land and would give me a good four or five on the day and students could be able to handle it. They just can't handle that. So I, in turn, we can I can complain about the place where the culture is. But how do I become all things to all men that I might win them to Christ? What does that look like for me to step foot on a college campus and begin to preach in a way 
where people can understand me. And on the flip side, I'm not rosy. Uh, Jesus preached better than I did. They crucified him, and the apostles were being beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, all that sort of jazz. And so uh, we can't expect tons better for us. But that is something uh, that I think uh, we need to think through. And if you think of praying for me, I would greatly appreciate your prayers, praying for me that I would have wisdom on properly communicating the gospel on a college campus. Um, so again, that's the basic trajectory of where I think we're headed. We've left uh, Athens. We're heading to Ephesus. And we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against powers, rules, and principalities. Uh, and now, uh, before I wrap up, what I want to do is kind of set the trajectory of where I hope to go over the next few weeks. Um, now, I am going to be recording every day, even as I get arrested. I think it's pretty wise to have every day uh, recorded. I was wickedly lied about in a uh, school article. And if I had that day recorded, uh, that's easier to rebut. Um, so I plan on recording every day. When I do that, hopefully many of my podcasts will be the breaking out of conversations from that, explaining what I'm doing, why I'm doing, uh, what I'm doing, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but also related to that, one of the more fascinating things in the fall was this was probably the first time, not really the first time, but I would say in the last 10 years, I would say maybe twice in 10 years of preaching on college campuses, have people stepped up to argue that uh, – when the Bible says that man shall not lie with a man the way he does a woman, that is actually pederasty. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that's pederasty. Romans chapter 1 is pederasty. And so what they've wanted to argue is that these there nowhere in the Bible is there a condemnation of homosexuality, uh, but there is a condemnation either of pederasty or of uh, a homos- abusive homosexual relationships, not what we would know today uh, in a homosexual relationship. Um, and so that's kind of a new angle in the past. It is in, yeah, that's what the Bible teaches. We just reject it. But now you kind of have that satanic element of we have to do the internal critique and say, you know, we have to deconstruct these things. Uh, Western culture, white people, whiteness has constructed this idea that homosexuality is wrong, and we have to come along and deconstruct it and get to the truth that yeah, this isn't what the text is really saying. What it's really saying are these culture-approved sins or disapproved sins like pederasty. That's really what it's about, or abuse. That's what it's really about. It can't possibly be about two loving homosexual people in a loving, committed relationship. Yeah, uh, we want to lay that out. And one of the things that was really interesting to me when I was having an interaction with one of the kids on that he pointed out to the human rights campaign. And if you're familiar, you're at least familiar with who they are. You've probably seen the bumper sticker, a little yellow flag, almost looks Swedish, but it's a a blue flag with a yellow equal sign. That's from the human rights campaign. And actually for a few years, I've been wanting to do a podcast covering their stuff because they have uh, leader's guides on how to introduce basically LGBT issues to the local church and uh, how you go about appealing that. So what I want to do starting next week uh, I don't know if it'll be a three-week series. depends on how long I have the podcast go. Um, but what I want to do is basically do a broad overview of the issue of homosexuality in the scriptures and the things you're going to start hearing. You're going to start hearing, here's why Leviticus 18 is not about what we know as homosexuality. Here's why Leviticus 21, I, th- I think it's 20, it might be 20, is not about uh, what we know as homosexuality. Same thing with 1 Corinthians. So what I want to do is just kind of go over those texts briefly and show why this is what they No, it is what we understand homosexuality to be. The act of sodomy is what is being frowned upon. It has nothing to do with whether or not the relationship is committed. And there is, uh, maybe you might not like the word natural law, but there's, you know, there's a way that the penis has been created. There's a way the anus has been created. There's a way the mouth has been created. There's a way the uh, vagina has been created. And um, it's not arbitrary. It's not by accident. So 
uh, I want to do that, um, but and then also want to interact with the human rights campaign. And then from there, I want to do a little series on deconstruction, because that's the other thing that's been coming up more often on campus. There are kids. I've always had the apostate kid, but now it's framed a certain way, and it's usually in the context of deconstruction. It's not, nah, I just left, I didn't want to believe anymore, but it has to... Uh, be dressed up in how painful it was, but also, you know, how they realize that the Bible's been uh, colonized or uh, the, the Christian religion, evangelicalism has been constructed in a way, and um, that's now being deconstructed. And so Jesus is really a pluralist or some sort of guru or whatever it is. So so there's there are these two trends that I see more and more often. And then we'll see how the semester's going, and we'll pick up from there. So uh, coming up, a couple series on homosexuality, then we're going to move into deconstruction, and there's a lot there to get into. There's actually a, a book called What Would Jesus Deconstruct? Um, I'll interact with that book a little bit. But there's a lot going on. I will be more faithful and better at knocking out the podcast going into the future. Uh, so uh, bear with me. I appreciate your patience and encouragement. I've received a handful of uh, emails throughout the fall wondering where my podcasts were. Then I had uh, lunch with someone today uh, who, who uh, nudged me to get back after it. So I appreciate the encouragement, uh, and I hope to make these 15, 20, 30 minutes, uh, whatever they're going to end up ultimately be, worth your time that you uh, will be more rooted in what's going on in the scriptures and in the culture around you. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach out to me, Keith at whitefieldfellowship.org, uh, Campus Preacher on uh, Instagram, Campus Evangel on Twitter, Keith Darrell on Facebook. And if you go to campuspreacher.com, um, you can learn a little bit more about what I'm doing. And if you're interested in supporting the ministry, that would be a tremendous help. Uh, so, Uh, Lord willing, I will talk to you in one week. Lord bless you. Keep you. Bye.